Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hello, everyone. This is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. And I'm excited to have Dr. Stephanie Evergreen, who's an internationally recognized data visualization and design expert, assisting future data nerds worldwide through keynote presentation and workshops for clients, including MasterCard, Adobe, Verizon, uh, American Institutes for Research, Rockefeller Foundation, and the United Nations. She writes a popular blog on data presentation at stephanieevergreen.com and her two books on designing high-impact class slideshows and reports both hit number one on Amazon bestseller list weeks before they are even released. Uh, this spring, Dr. Evergreen is publishing the second edition of one of her bestsellers, Effective Data Visualization, and a brand new sketchbook with templates for making info, infographics and dashboards. Welcome to the show, Dr. Stephanie. Well, thank you for having me here. Awesome. So, you know, uh, how did you uh, get your start into into uh, uh, you know uh, uh, data visualization? What made you interested to to uh, to be an expert in this? So, I started out just doing research. I was a researcher full time, working at a university, and I was making a lot of uh, reports. We collected a lot of data, and we were reporting all the time. And I I just knew that there was a better way because. <laughs> When I was writing up these reports and making these presentations, I was bored. And I realized if I was bored when I'm making it, my audiences are definitely going to be bored when they're supposed to be consuming the information that's in it. So, I mean, this was before we even had a field called data visualization, but I started playing around inside Excel, seeing what I could do with the graphing software that I had. And that that's how I learned how to make 3D pie charts. <laughs> So I, I had a lot of that stuff in my work for a while um, until I was finishing my graduate school and I had to do a dissertation. And then I chose this as a topic so I could really study what the research says behind these best practices. And that's when I learned to stop making 3D pie charts and what we should be doing instead. Interesting. So, so Dr. Stephanie, how important it is to communicate data effectively in, in businesses and uh, in our presentations? You know, it seems like it's a small thing to learn how to do, almost like too small to really need to focus on it, because we're really talking about just learning how to push some buttons inside Excel, you know, how to make it do things that it needs to do to make graphs better. But the impacts that we see in terms of the bottom line for businesses, you know, I've seen it in every single company I've worked with, from really small nonprofits to big Fortune 50s. Um, the impact we get when we figure out how to communicate clearly is that we are more effective at our work and we can have better meetings that are more efficient where we're actually making the decisions that are on the agenda to make and getting products to market faster and honoring good ideas and stopping bad ideas in their tracks. I mean, all that happens in our communications inside companies. It happens in our meetings. And most meetings are terrible because they're filled with really bad data put on really cluttery slides that make it just confusing. So when we take the time to just figure out how to do the small stuff like pushing the buttons correctly um, to make great looking graphs, it, it totally changes our conversations that we can have internally. Got it. And, uh, you know, if, if done correctly, uh, you know, how, how can uh, you know, presenting data visually uh, help uh, change cultures in organizations. And uh, is there any, any right way to do about uh, presenting data? 
You know, yeah, I've seen this happen quite a bit in the companies that I work with. Um, I'll tell you a story about one. It was a large Fortune 500 that I was working with, and they were used to presenting their data on slides where they were just doing a screenshot of a spreadsheet. You know, they had this, like, Excel spreadsheet with all these numbers in it, they would shrink it down so that they could fit the entire spreadsheet onto a slide. It was so small, the font was so small, you would need binoculars to see it. And then they would put it up on, in, the, in the meeting, and they would expect people to have conversations about it. And, you know, people would spend half the meeting just going, okay, now what are we looking at here? And, and they would have a hard time even... Uh, even understanding what was what it was that was right in front of them. So we did some workshops with this group and showed them how to do it better, how to turn the tables into graphs and visualizations that told the insights that they had. And um, we checked in with the senior vice president a little while later, like a couple of months down the road, and he said that he was actually angry now, angrier than he'd ever been, because now he could clearly see that performance had been decreasing on some of their key areas that he could not see before when it was just buried in this very cluttery slide. So it was a good thing that he was angry, but the the best part of it was that he could see that performance really clearly and they could start to make the changes they needed to make that should have probably happened six months ago. So once we start communicating with each other more clearly, we are able to have these brave and honest conversations with each other about the stuff that needs to happen inside of our companies. And that is a culture shift for most of the companies that I see. Got it. And, uh, you know, it, it's often said that a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, now, um, you know, how many, you know, if somebody, somebody has a presentation with 30 minutes, how many pictures, you know, should, should they be in the slide? Is there any, any research behind this? You know, there used to be some older uh, older rules of thumb, so to speak, that said things like two minutes per slide, six yeah. bullet points per slide, no more than two minutes per slide. All of that, that was never based on any kind of research. That we just push aside. We don't listen to that advice anymore. These days, I say, you have as many slides as points you are trying to make. Okay. And that we have one point per slide. And the reason that we say that is because the research behind it is based in how brains work, how, how brains consume information. And um, you've probably even heard some of this research reported anecdotally about how humans are really bad at multitasking. You know, we're much better at single tasking, and that's because our brains are limited in how much we can process at one time, how many different pieces of information we can process at once. So if we break things down so that we're talking about one point at a time, um, then people are actually able to follow along with what we're saying and see our reasoning and our logic and then arrive at the conclusions or discussion points that we need them to have. So um, that means you're going to have it could be two slides in 30 minutes if you've only got two points. It could be 30 slides in 30 minutes or 60 slides in 60 minutes. As long as we're talking about one point at a time, it's going to be okay. Got it. And, um, you know, your, your new book shows how, how to create Excel charts and graphs uh, uh, to communicate data, data findings. So, um, uh, so my, my question is, you know, uh, should, should everybody use MS Office and uh, use Excel uh, uh, to create charts or are they, are they you know, how, how would they go about uh, creating these these graphs so that they can best affect their data uh, uh, to, to, to others? 
That's a good question. I, in some ways, I'm platform agnostic. I don't really care what software platforms we use to make our stuff as long as we follow the best principles laid out in the books around what good design looks like and what effective chart types we should be using. But that said, if I do have a preference, I lean toward the Microsoft Office world for a couple of reasons. First of all, everybody has it. Yeah. And you know, I've been in these graphic design situations where we've had a graphic designer on contract um, who would make us something beautiful, but then they would deliver it to us in a PDF. And if I needed to change, if I needed to just fix a typo or add one word, I would have to go back to them and hire them again to make these changes. And this is ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. It's way more efficient for our time if we do stuff inside software that everybody already owns. Um, so that's why I like living in that world. And I think there's a lot that we can do there if we just know how. Um, and there are, you know, other graphing softwares that are very powerful. Um, like Tableau is a really good example of a graphing software that's very powerful. Um, yeah. And it's really appropriate in some situations. But I'll tell you what, when I'm working with um, companies like the in the Fortune 500 world, I'm talking to like their chief marketing officer. She's not using Tableau. <laughs> She's in a PowerPoint world. Executive meetings are in a PowerPoint world. And that chief marketing officer needs to know how to make a great graph, even if her, the data scientist on her team made an initial graph in some other specialty software that could handle the size of the data that they have. She's still going to have to figure out how to present it to the CEO um, in a PowerPoint. And a screenshot or a copy-paste of a picture file isn't going to cut it. So I think that when we take the care to learn how to use Office effectively, it can actually do quite a bit for us. It might not be appropriate in every single situation, but the reality is we still live in a very PowerPoint world. Got it. And, and, and does that weigh for the uh, same for Mac users? Uh, you know, it does. <laughs> Yeah, it's not it's not the same. I know. I feel like there's a a, a long-standing family duel between um, Macs and Microsoft because they don't always cooperate that well. There are definitely some some tweaks that have to happen. Buttons are named different things. They're in different places. So it's a different kind of learning curve for people who are on a Mac. My understanding is that Microsoft is trying to get better at bridging that, but yeah, certainly it's not going to look the same. Or maybe they can use Google Suite to, uh, you know, to create other uh, charts or Excel sheet. Uh, uh, you know, what is the research behind, uh, you know, why pie charts uh, uh, don't work? Yeah. So. The reason the pie charts don't work, well, and I'll say sometimes they do. Sometimes they're fine. If you were to show somebody a pie chart that only has two wedges and it was 75% and 25%, it would be very easy for people to read it because it's perfect. You know, it, it cuts at a very exact way that we're used to seeing. But when we try to put more wedges into the pie or when the pie cuts at an angle that isn't very easy for people to recognize, it gets hard. And that be is because what we see from the research around how brains interpret graphs is that we're not very good at angle. The angle is a very inaccurate measurement type. I mean, people could can guess. They'll, they'll say, oh, I like looking at pies because they're easy. But easy is not necessarily accurate. Mm -hmm. Easy is self-reported. Easy just means I'm used to looking at these. Accurate is an objective measure, and that's a different thing. 
Um, and what we want people to do is to make accurate judgments off of the data if we're going to live in a data-driven world. So the research behind pie chart says um, not to use them if we're going to have a lot of wedges in it or if it's going to be something where people need to be paying attention to the precise values of each pie wedge, then we should be picking another graph type that makes those precise values easier to read. Okay, and, and, and other than, you know, pie charts, are there, are there any other images which, uh, which you know, according to research would uh, make the presentation more, uh, 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 more effective? Yeah, so the research um, shows that we're better judging length then we are at angle. Okay. So when we encode data by length, we're talking about things like bar charts and column charts. Okay. Um, we're good at direction, fairly good at direction. Direction is like in a line graph. Um, and we're actually the best at judging position. And position means like um, encoding the data by a dot's position in a graph. Mm -hmm. So newer graph types out there, like dot plots, and lollipop graphs are a way to use position that um, is even more accurate for people than uh, bar charts or line charts, and certainly better than a pie. Okay, interesting. And you know, what, what if um, you know employees would want to uh, approach their their bosses that they should move away from pie charts and, and to present data more clearly? Is it is it you know how how would they come up with this uh, uh, with the topic with their seniors? You know, it's uh, there are a couple different strategies you can use, and it kind of depends, I think, on your boss's disposition. One of my favorite strategies is to use makeovers, like a makeover opportunity, where you should probably start with yourself and pick one of your own graphs that could be better, and preferably one that your boss has seen before, and then remake it and show the before and show the after and see if you can um, even maybe get some comments or reactions from your end users on what the remake looks like and then present that present the before present the after present the feedback and um, use this as a platform to say small changes can make a really big difference for us another um, strategy if your boss is a little bit more amenable to it we remake one of their slides remake one of their uh, graphs. So most of the time I see that bosses are in a place where they know that there should be improvement. They just don't feel like they have the time to sit down and do it. So if somebody else is willing to do it for them, then they'll be sold on it. So um, if you can, if you think it would be a good idea, if your boss is cool with it, remake one of your boss's slides. Um, one more strategy, and this one worked for me initially when I first was getting started with um, slide designs, show them a book. Put a book, hopefully one of mine, out in the break room at your office and just leave it there for people to flip through. When you flip through something that shows what effective slides look like or what effective graphs look like, it's almost like you don't have to read the words to just have your mind open to, oh my gosh, there are better ways that we could be doing this. So that can also be another effective trick. You just anonymously stick a book in the break room and let people browse. Interesting thing. And uh, Dr. Stephanie, you, uh, you, you've talked about how important it is to, to, is to present data. Um, are there any resources for, for listeners who would want to learn more about MS Office and MS Excel? Uh, you know, what, what resources would you, would you suggest in, uh, other than your book? Yeah, well, Google is very helpful. When you, Google is certainly how most 
people, if they're being honest, who work in the data world, this is how they solve most of their problems because we'll just Google the problem. And the community out there around whatever software you're using is strong. People that are there to help each other and answer questions. Um, my blog is a really good place to go where we talk about how to make great graphs and great slides and reports and all of that inside Microsoft Office. But since I started mine, there have been other people who have started their blogs too. And so I think if you just start Googling it, you'll see that there are a lot of freely available resources out there for folks. Got it. And, and you know, uh, you, you, you launched another book, which is the Data Visualization Sketchbook, which allows readers to, to sketch their ideas. So uh, why is sketching so good for our brains? Yeah, you know, what we have seen historically is that when we sketch, it's where we are able to think. And it's an expensive process to actually go about creating things. Historically speaking, artists, you know, they would sketch out their ideas before they go get paint and canvas because paint and canvas are expensive. So, you know, Van Gogh sketched, Picasso sketched. Dali sketch. Their sketches now are in museums. So, I mean, my stuff's not ever going to land there. But they sketch because it's a cheaper way to quickly iterate your idea okay. and work out your errors and get your right approach before you actually sit down at the canvas or in front of your computer. Got it. And uh, uh, so let's, let's quickly do the top three. Uh, what's your favorite business book? My favorite business book? I'm going to say... Hmm. There are so many to choose from. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now thinking, what has been my go-to? Can I tell you, um, I recently read a book called Company of One. Company of One by Paul Jarvis. Paul Jarvis. It's my new favorite. Do you know this one? Yeah, I've heard about it, but I haven't got the chance to read through it. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I, I have new business, new favorite business books as, uh, as my business evolves, but I read Company of One um, a couple of months ago, and it was a fascinating read on how maybe we don't need to shoot for continuous growth, because continuous growth is probably not sustainable. What we probably need to be shooting for is a reasonable level of business that makes us happy and doesn't cause us undue stress trying to please every single client. Um, and that supports a lifestyle that we want and that we can use technology to help us scale some of that stuff, but that we don't have to have, if you don't want it, you don't have to have a giant company with hundreds of employees. Um, you can, you can be small and mighty. And I love that idea. Yeah, interesting. Right. Well, we'll put that in the show notes and, uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you, uh, uh you know, worked on the first draft of your book, uh, sector data visualization, is there anything you would have focused on or done differently? You know, looking back on the first edition of the book, so one of the things I would have wanted to do then that I didn't get to do was publish it in color. Okay. Because I think color is so important to our understanding of, um, of what we're looking at. And it's really hard to design visuals for a book when you've only got black and white to work with. So um, this time around, we've got full color. And it's, it's odd how much more helpful it is. I mean, in the first edition, we're showing screenshots of Excel. Like, here's what you'll be looking at when you open up your Excel. And it's so much harder to follow it in black and white, even if it's the exact same thing you're looking at on your screen. So having color is, has been such a good advantage in the second edition. Got it. And uh, what's your favorite online tools example, Gmail, Slack, Trello? Um, 
My favorite tools. So we use, obviously, Excel and PowerPoint quite a bit. Um, but behind the scenes at Evergreen Data, we are on Slack uh, with notifications turned off so that it's not a distraction all day long. But it is the way that we communicate um, so much more efficient than email. Um, our entire online work, uh, the blog, the academy that we have, the, which is an online school, all of that is built inside WordPress uh, with very smart people on my team who know how to do that kind of coding. So I think between Microsoft World and Slack and WordPress, that's, that's our technology stack. It's pretty straightforward. Interesting. So, and, and what is the best way people can, uh, can buy, uh, buy the new edition of the book, uh, Effective Data Visualization? People can get it on Amazon. Um, I think I just checked before our uh, call, and they, I think Amazon said they'll have it in stock May 22nd. Uh, so hopefully it'll be there. What I've seen in the past is that Amazon tends to run out pretty quickly, so they, and it takes them a while to order more. So if anybody goes and it says they're out of stock, more are on the way soon, you can also order directly from my publishers at Sage. Got it. And, and what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about, uh, about your blog? Yes, yeah, so my website is going to be the best way to go about it. The blog that we have there is full of so many good ideas, but there's also contact forms in there. So what I find is that when people have questions, usually I've already written a blog post that answers it. So going to the blog and searching on that is really helpful. Um, but other than that, there's always a contact form there to get a hold of me. All right. Thank you, Dr. Stephanie. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. I really appreciate speaking with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.